Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. I am a certified sexuality educator and over a decade's worth of adult entertainer uh, of so many different types and variations, but we're not here to talk about me. We are here to talk uh, spirituality and sexuality. This is the spirituality and sexuality episode with Nicole Mitchell. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Elle. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm. Thank you so much for being here. This is going to be a very unique episode. Of course, yes. they all are. But I had to like reread your social media info like three times. I was like, "You're a former pastor, and you became a stripper, and now you're a stripper coach. Like, have I stumbled upon a goldmine of a person?" <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> Such unique insight into the world. So we're going to learn more about you and meet you today in this episode of They Talk Sex podcast. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors. Please, listeners, share or rate or review the episodes or the show anywhere you can. That helps folks find us in this intense time of censorship. Uh, so NicoleMitchell.com and you are most busy these days online at Instagrams, at Mitchell Nicole. And then, of course, our listeners can find the spelling of that in the episode notes. So, hello. Hi. Why did you originally, hi, become a pastor? Yeah. I was raised an atheist, so help me understand. Oh, my gosh. This is great. We're going to have a, this is going to be like a two-way interview because <laughs> I'm, I was raised religious, raised my children religious, and now I'm, I'm no longer religious um, I'm more agnostic and I'm, you know, I'm fumbling on my own trying to figure out how do you raise formerly religious children into a now non-religious home. So I might have questions for you. But Ooh. yeah, I was raised Baptist, a very conservative um, Baptist and very quickly learned as a little girl that women were supposed to be seen and not heard. So women were not allowed to be leaders. Women were not allowed to be pastors. Women belonged in the kitchen and in the nursery. And because that was the entire world I grew up in, I tried my hardest to fit that mold. And it wasn't until my late 20s that I was exposed to my very first church that allowed women pastors. Hmm. And I was blown away and it spoke to something deep in my soul because I've always been a natural leader. It was just never allowed in the communities I grew up in. Hmm. And the ch the male pastors at that church were like, Nicole, you're a theologian. Like we want to train you up to be a pastor in our church. And I said, whoa, I can't. I'm a woman. I'm a mom and I've never been to seminary. And they said, oh, we don't hold that against you. And I'm like, what? Wow. And so for the first time, which it still blows me away as, as someone in the 21st century that I'm saying, oh yeah, it was until a few years ago that I learned that women were equals in the church. Like that was a radical concept. And Damn. so for me to become a pastor was actually my first big sin, right? That was my first big coming out of the closet moment is before I even came out as queer was I was mm. terrified to come out to my family that I wanted to be a pastor because I knew the script that had been passed on to me that women are not allowed to be pastors. So that alone was its own journey to get there. So you can imagine if they were very anti-women becoming pastors, you can imagine how they handled the news when they found out I wanted to work in the adult industry. Oh my God. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I have compassion for that side of things when it must have felt very out of control to them. Yes. Like I became everything they didn't want me to become. Mm -hmm. And it can look like from the outside, I did it on purpose. Like I'm just on this like mission to like blow up every desire for their daughter, but it's just who I am. 
And I reached a point in my 30s where like, I can no longer be who everyone else needs me to be. I need to be who I came here to be. And I went on this long journey. I, I left the church in 2017 because I became very disillusioned with the politics, with the hypocrisy. The men around me got all the opportunities, but me as a biracial queer woman kept being denied, 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 delayed, delayed, delayed. And finally left and realized as much as I wanted to try to change the system from the inside out, it was costing me my own well-being. And I finally chose my well-being over the church and went on this journey of like, who am I? What do I want? What do I believe? And a big, um, the big catalyst for that questioning was I realized my queerness in 2016. Mm -hmm. And I'd been married to a man. We had three beautiful babies together. I thought I was straight my entire life. And then I had this revelation and it shook me to my core because I'm like, if I can be in my 30s and not even know my own sexuality, what else do I think I know that I'm totally wrong on? Ooh. And that's when I went on this big like deconstruction journey and unlearning all the, the dogma and programming I had been raised with and tried to discover the true Nicole inside of me and who I've come to be is this version of me, right? I do adult work. I'm also a life coach. I feel very fulfilled and it's very fun and it's very profitable, but not after I went through a long journey to finally get to this point and be okay with who I actually came here to be. Mm -hmm. And so I have a question and I, this episode is about spirituality and sexuality and you as a guest and how you relate to it. But I have to say, I'm really curious how your queerness revelation and your evolutions have related to your husband, you mm -hmm. know, like as, as you yeah. grew how did that yes. impact him? And we don't necessarily have to talk about that, but if you'd like to, I'm a little curious. For sure. I'm very open book. So yeah, when I first came out, I was, he was the one person I was not afraid to tell. Aww. He was always my biggest supporter and always my biggest believer and always telling me like, fuck what other people think, Nicole, you got to do you like, do you. And so he was my biggest supporter, stood up for me. We made YouTube videos, Q and a, cause people all freaked out like, Oh my God, you're going to leave him now. And at that point, I had zero intention to get divorced. Like that, I thought I found my person for life. And then mm -hmm. it wasn't until several years later, um, we actually became one of the pandemic couples where um, things either fell apart or you could say they fell into place. And we both realized we wanted very different things for our lives and had really hard conversations mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. that. And what's interesting is people saw me go from a very religious background to my adult work. He's very private behind the scenes guy. So no one really knows much about him, mm -hmm. but he went on his own journey. He went from being, um, I called him, I used to call him my gateway drug to all things liberal. He was always <laughs> progressive. He was, he read, eight, I was a hardcore Christian yeah. when we first got married and he's reading atheist books. Like he's always been like the open-minded person. Huh. When I finally quit church in 2017, he was like, finally, he had quit church long before me, Wow! but he's actually made a hard right. Wow. He's hardcore religious, hardcore conservative. It's like, that's so it is interesting bizarre situation for both of us. And so now we are no longer together. See, and this is why I don't see, and maybe this is me justifying it to myself because I've had two divorces, but like some people see that as a failure and like, I don't see divorce as a failure. I see as it a ch it's a change to a contract because the conditions changed over time. Yes, I totally agree. I think it takes an incredible amount of courage 
well, first to even get married <laughs> and then to get divorced takes a lot of, a lot of courage. And I don't, I'm like, why are we not applauding this? Like it yeah. is terrifying. It is scary. It's hard, especially if it's your first time. Like I, and when I had planned on being married forever to this one person, mm-hmm. but now like that we are willing to be really, really honest about with who we are, with what we wanted and being willing to release each other that there should be no shame and stigma that should be celebrated and honored to me. That is one of the greatest expressions of love. I love you enough mm-hmm. to let you go. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for uh, illuminating some of that. That's really interesting. So how do you feel about your time with the previous role? So did you become, you were a pastor, you were able to become pastor. You said in 2013, you found out that was an option. Yes. And they mentored me. Um, and then they hired me in 2016. So I lasted a year um, and then left in 2017. Okay. You know, what's so funny is that my whole life I spent trying to be this good girl and follow all the rules. But ever since middle school, I've wanted to be a stripper. <laughs> and I don't know wow. how. Because I was not exposed to that. I was very sheltered, very controlled environment. But I I remember at some point coming out to a friend about that thinking, doesn't every girl want to be a stripper? And the look of horror on her face (laughs) made me realize, oh, maybe not. And maybe I shouldn't be talking to my Sunday school girlfriends about this, right? (laughs) You know, and that that can be, um, so the word grooming comes up. It's like, you know, well, someone must have like made you think that was a good idea. And like, I'm not, we're not, again, here to debate, like, we're not talking about grooming, but it is unarguable that there are because I've talked to them like people who are like, I wanted that for myself. I saw a sexy lady in print and I was like, I want to be that. Yes. I remember being in grocery stores with my mom and seeing the magazines at the checkout center, checkout lane and seeing, you know, girls, women in bikini. And I remember thinking, I want to be that. And when I had a photo published a few months ago, it was, it brought back that memory. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the exact kind of photo I used to look at on magazines on, you know, Sports Illustrated wishing that was me. And now I have my version of that. Mm -hmm. And I actually had my assistant put it on a Sports Illustrated magazine like digital version because I'm like I just fulfilled an elementary school dream of mine so yes I'm so glad you say that because yeah people were like what sexual trauma did you go through Nicole and I'm like first of all why is that the first assumption Mm -hmm. why can't it simply be a desire without Mm -hmm. making it something Mm -hmm. bad without making it mean anything then it's simply desire Mm -hmm. so um, so see, ever since elementary school and middle school, I've wanted to be a stripper of some kind. All my favorite movies were like Coyote Ugly, like <laughs> where girls are like dancing and performing and like just yearning for that kind of expression mm-hmm. and freedom and embodiment. And um, it started with me just wanting to post a sexy photo online. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified. And it was two- November of 2018. Mm-hmm. I posted my first sexy photo. <laughs> And when I say sexy, I'm in black from turtleneck to long sleeve to long black pants and a tiny bathroom mirror, but I was in a kind of sexy position. Mm. And that was my first claim of like agency of like, I'm an adult. I'm a woman. I want to be more in touch with my body. Mm -hmm. Get ready world. Mm-hmm. And the first place I was introduced to adult work was actually OnlyFans. I had a friend who was doing, who was really successful on there. And I loved the idea of doing it all online, no middleman, no boss. I get to decide my rates. I get to decide my hours. Well, minus, minus the, the cuts that 
platform tapes. Minus the only hands cuts. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The the perfect gateway for me who with my background of like, I don't know where to begin. So to this day, that is where I do all my adult adult work is online through OnlyFans. And I have like this, I mean, it's been a fantasy since I was a little girl to be an actual stripper who performs. And so when I saw you post like a month ago on Instagram, because I've been following you for like a year and a half, Alan, I just love and adore the shit out of you. And when you posted like a month ago, like, Hey, if you're a local, I'm teaching pole lessons at 8 PM. I was like, (laughs) I want to be there so bad, but I live in Southern California. Um, But that's my dream. My dream is to take pole dancing lessons and maybe I'll do in-person work, but right now it's all online. Mm -hmm. And I really really enjoy it. Good. That's wonderful. I I was really curious and I've been saying, um, you know, because I've been online since 2005 and and I've seen websites come and go and platforms and like I'm watching the new technology. And so I I mused a bit about OnlyFans and I said, this is going to open up to a lot of people where it was never really so much of an option. Yeah. Yes. That's why I love it. I feel like for single women or, or single moms or just... So many marginalized people have more access now through online platforms. And it's part of why I'm so passionate about my coaching is for the woman who wants to be expressed, the woman who wants to be embodied, and the woman who wants to make money doing that. I want to make sure we're starting you from a really grounded place. So I'll have women who come to me for coaching and they're like, okay, so I need to show my, show my pussy right away, right? That's like how I make money, oh, right? No, and I'm honey. like, whoa, whoa, no, whoa, no, whoa, no. Whoa. <laughs> Let's like slow down here. But there is this idea and this pressure. I just have to rush and throw it all out there. And that's the only way to make it. And I, I deeply believe like it's honoring your values, your boundaries, your limits that actually makes you more profitable and desirable because you're not just throwing yourself out there, but we have to get clear on what are your boundaries? What are your desires? What works for you? And then creating a business, a platform around you and not you just trying to make yourself fit in with what you think is expected of you. Right. And you know, for some of us, like, I just love showing my pussy. I wish I could show my bush on Instagram. I think it's adorable. You know, so like, if you love showing your pussy, then enjoy that and make it work for you. You know, you can get people to tip you to talk to you with the hopes of having more. Yes. Such a juggle. Yeah. And it's, I think part of the magic is at least for the online space, you know, the in-person space so much better than me, but on the online space, it's like these fans get to watch your journey. So when I first started, Mm -hmm. I only did topless and implied right Mm -hmm. now I make full on explicit content, but Mm -hmm. like they've stuck with me because they've seen that like Nicole, who was shy, kind of still modest, kind of reserved and now like really passionate and really committed to making high quality content that you just can't find typically on average porn sites. Um, and I, they love that journey. They love that authentic expression. And then I love your comment about being paid to talk. So I offer, you know, one-on-one Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. 90% of them that fans book for, it's just to talk. They just want that connection, that space. And probably half of those are for coaching support. Nicole, how do I make more money? Nicole, Mm -hmm. how do I better pleasure my partner? Nicole, how do Mm -hmm. I leave my family religion? Nicole, how do I face the rejection I'm going to get? And it just shows like there's this hunger for the space where both spirituality and sexuality can collide, where we can talk about our fears and our fetishes, our kids and our kinks. Like, where can we do that? 
And that's where I'm thrilled to be able to bring that to my little corner of the world. Mm-hmm. So definitely there's, um, I'm thinking of the word spectrum and it's really important for, for me to, um, point out that like so far there's been a couple spectrums I've noticed where like the very conservative, restrictive Baptist environment you were born into versus the more liberal exposure you had yeah. to like women can be leaders yet they're still in the church, which is arguably a tool of patriarchy so, so often. And, and sex work can also be quite a tool of the patriarchy in the way it's run and managed and people are policed um, or restricted. So we're talking about autonomy and we're also talking about, um, I think, types of interaction where it's like the person who is doing sex work, like, you know, on the streets, jumping in and out of cars, like trying to make sure their client uses a condom, like that is like the most intense and dangerous sex work. And then we do have the safer, more privileged online work that, you know, I've done and you've started in and there's shades all in between that with like stripping and in-person parties. And um, so I think a lot of choice uh, and freedom for people definitely relates to timing and circumstance and context and so many other things. Yes. I love that. I'm so glad you brought that up. We are privileged workers. You know, I've done dangerous, mm-hmm. illegal work, but like still in Portland, which isn't as socially conservative as like Florida, for example, the cops here, they're more likely to bust the clients, but they're not as likely to go after the actual providers themselves. Whereas in more yep. conservative places, yeah. it's like they're specifically yep. targeting totally. so-called, you know, hookers with the intent of arresting them because it's predatory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about sex work and religion, um, spirituality, there's people that are way more free and way more um, like certainly trapped in a, in a type of hell in their reality. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So how, in terms of you breaking free, um, have you ever done any churchy themed photo sets? Have you dabbled in sacrilege? Right. <laughs> I, you know, I've had probably over a year ago um, when my story went viral, I had a couple requests and it was too fresh for me to do it. Since then, mm-hmm. I've done a couple um, <laughs> videos of religious, sexy themed stuff, um, but I haven't done like an actual photo shoot. Um doing that. But I would definitely, I'm way more open to that now than I was even a year ago. Mm-hmm. You have options. Yes. Um, so as we record this uh, in April, 2022, it is Easter Sunday. And so I'm thinking heavily on themes yes. and what you said earlier about you just had the desire. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's an inherent desire to be a sexually healthy person who shares that energy and shares that joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And can you imagine if we lived in a world where we had these gods or goddesses or figures that we worshiped or revered that were sexual healers, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of virgin teenagers got impregnated by sky daddy (laughs) and then her son was killed. Like what a horrible, like Mary was a pawn. Like that's fucked. I, that's something I love about you is the perspective you bring because, because I was so indoctrinated in the Christian religion or evangelicalism. It's even to this day, even though I've been removed from it for about five years and I'm like in adult work full time, I'm still 
deprogramming. And this is why I love like your Jesus meme Sundays. They are the most <laughs> on Instagram. hilarious on Instagram, the most hilarious and healing things I probably experience every single week. Like I look forward to them. I'm like, all right, Elle, show me some truth, shed <laughs> some light on this bullshit. Like I need your help. And every Sunday without fail, I'm just like dying, laughing and thinking, holy shit, that's a good point. Like I never thought to view it from that way. That makes me very happy. I realized yesterday it's been about seven years. Um, every Sunday on Instagram, I post a, at least one Jesus meme. And like 80% of them are reposts, but they're ones that, you know, fit my screening processes where I'm like, is there a message here? Probably. Uh, and then I do make some. Uh, so there's some original content. Uh, I had a bunch mm-hmm. of, you know, like Jesus would have been a good stripper. I mean, or not strip. Well, maybe Jesus would have been a good tipper. Yes. Sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Let's go. Let's go, Jesus. So, good. so I asked some of our listeners and some of my online followers, I said, what is your relationship to religion and sexuality? I'd like to read some responses and uh, have you remark or comment if so appropriate. Yes, that sounds great. So the question, what is your relationship to religion and sexuality? One person says... Lots of cognitive dissonance. I like Mm -hmm. spirituality. I dislike religion. Someone else says, I grew up Catholic, so I was repressed quite a bit. Uh, Someone says, my degradation kink is probably from being raised Catholic, but being queer and leaving the faith. Mm. I have a degradation kink, but I never related to the other parts. Do you have a degradation kink, Nicole? I do. I like to be degraded. And I've never thought about it in regards to the greater context of my upbringing. I mean, it could relate. Maybe not. It could be, right. again, like, oh, yeah, natural leaders. I think sometimes we just like to be told, like, shut the fuck up. Sit still. Yes. Good yes. Girl. After, I feel like I spend my whole day just, like, being in boss mode, getting shit done, leading my team, mm-hmm. growing my company. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, have just your tell way me to bend me. over. Yes. Tell me what to do. Tell me. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Someone says Christian religious shame was passed down, even though we never went to church or practiced. That's a good point. Interesting. Someone says I am. Oh, (laughs) this is another adult performer lady. I have an Irish Catholic upbringing and I'm a current sex worker. Peace sign fingers. (laughs) Uh, someone says, I'm a Cali devotee. My partners and I have secular sex and we have ritual sex. Oh. Hell yeah. I'm Kali. loving the spectrum so much. Me too. Uh, someone says, my relationship to religion and sexuality is traumatic. Purity mm-hmm. culture is still mm-hmm. impacting me 10 years plus after leaving religion. Mm. Yeah. You said earlier, it's only been about five years and you're still deprogramming. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to take, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, okay. Keep, keep going. I'm like writing down thoughts as you like read these. I'm like, oh, oh my good. God, this is so good. This is so good good. 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 Someone else says lots of religious and slash ritualistic kinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Get in prayer position. Hold it. Whisper, whisper things to me because you worship me and I'm going to pour some wax on you and we're going to do some breathing relieve ourselves of sins. I just built a scene. There we go. Someone do that. Yes, you did. I was totally there, right there with you. (laughs) Yes, there was candles. See what else? We'll have to come back to some of these. Someone else says, sex is spiritual, sacred, divine. Sex is the religion. (laughs) 
Yes. That's the altar I worship. Mm-hmm. So good. So we are going to take a break in a moment, but do you have any thoughts relating to any of those? Yeah. You know what? As I'm listening to all these, I am like delighted to hear the spectrum because in the church, you know, in, in my religious circles, I was raised with a very black and white mentality, right? Bad, good, right, wrong. And I'm hearing all the different forms of people reclaiming their religious trauma or sexual trauma or their sexual desires and how it can be like in different kinks and fetish. There's just so much here. And I think it's so beautiful and diverse. I'm like, why were we ever afraid of this? I find it so beautiful. And I'm like, even with your little 10 second um, wax bow, worship me, I was totally enraptured, right? Like Mm. it it birthed new ideas in me. And it's like, there's Mm. so much beauty here. And I love, love, love learning from other people, learning about their sexual expression, their sexual desires. And I think there's something really beautiful and healing and powerful, creative. And it just makes me so sad that the church or the churches I was raised in just shamed it and shunned it so much um, when I think there is so much beauty just from simply hearing about other people's desires. And then Mm -hmm. I was really like taken back by the person's comment about how shame was passed down even without the church. I'm like, ay, 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 because it just shows like how deep that program programming can go. And for me, I'm so committed as the mother to my three children to raise them in a very sex positive, body positive, sex work positive, shame free home um, that even just leaving the church sometimes isn't enough. It's important, I think, for those of us who need to leave, but to know that it's deeper than that. And so just hearing that comment really renewed like my commitment to like, Make sure I'm like deprogramming the story of shame in me so that there isn't the passing of that onto my children. Mm, good comment. Yeah, we do the work until we die sometimes. Someone yeah. told me once. Cool. Yes. So let's take a break. We will be right back with Nicole Mitchell and They Talk Sex podcast. Go look up NicoleMitchell.com and on Instagram, Mitchell Nicole. Phew, summer is here and my vulva is sweaty and itchy and a little irritated. So I'm going to use the salve from Momotaro Apotheca and maybe take a nice cool bath with their oil as well. Try Momotaro Apotheca or Oshihana products. That's O-S-H-I-H-A-N-A or Momotaro Apotheca, M-O-M-O-T-A-R-O Apotheca. And use my Instagram handle, stripperwriter, for a discount. Welcome back to the Spirituality and Sexuality episode. I am speaking with Nicole Mitchell on this glorious Easter Sunday, uh, 2022, in the year of our Lord. I'm sorry. I'm such a troll. Um... I grew up in a house where my dad would like, this is not correct. I don't do this. But like people that would come to the door, like doing their hard job of like trying to bring others in, mm-hmm. even though I don't agree with it, he would be very rude and antagonistic to them. So like that's the hostility towards religion with which I was raised. So I've tried to deprogram a lot of that and have compassion for people who like are believers. And I still want to challenge some of the things they believe. So I love it. I love that we're having this conversation on Easter Sunday. Like the beauty, the irony, the timing of it all just like tickles me with delight. 
Nicole five years ago would never know she'd be here now. And I can't think of a better way to spend my Easter Sunday. So thank you. You're welcome, Nicole. Isn't that wonderful? So on the magic and the mystery that is, I mean, human bodies. um, So you talked about having an interest in in in-person work and I feel like, uh, and you might relate to this, tell me, I'm, I'm going to ask, but in terms of how you relate to your clients, your customers, like obviously there's a screen, but you do some real-time interaction, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I had a good, I had a moment last night on stage where I summoned like all of my good vibes and like the orgasms I'd had and the love I was feeling for the person I'm in love with. And I was like, okay, I'm going to summon all of this good shit and I'm going to stand up well and I'm going to fucking project it out. And I see a man Mm -hmm. and he's looking at me and I'm going to look at him. And I sent my vibes and he came over and he spent good money and it was beautiful fucking interaction and i felt this tingle inside of me when he started coming over and and putting money down i was like it's working it's working because it is like ritual and it is like ceremony and it is like induction when we're bringing people closer so yes oh my gosh i love that there's something sacred about that yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you relate to your online audiences? Like, how do you feel that you are able to bond with them? I'm curious. Yeah, I think part of it is um, a lot of them are there to find something. And I genuinely care. So I'm in the DMs every day. It's the only platform I'm on that you can have access to me in the DMs every day, having actual conversations. So I know my clients or fans so well. Mm-hmm. And they'll, I get raving responses like, I can't believe you message me every day. I can't believe you actually care what I think and feel. And that's part of my ministry. Like in some ways, I still feel like a pastor just with less clothes on and a whole lot freer and happier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I care about the well-being of my fans. And and I, I feel so honored that I get to fulfill some of their sexual fantasies and desires when they request custom content. It's an honor. It's incredibly vulnerable to share with basically a stranger on the internet, here's like my deepest sexual fantasy. Mm -hmm. I could easily shame them or ridicule them or embarrass them, right? And people have in the past. And yet I get to be like the sacred receiver of that knowledge. And I am so honored to pour my heart into the content I make for them, kind of like you just said with your energy. Mm. So when they get it, they're blown away. This isn't just average stuff you can find online. Like this is Nicole pouring pouring everything she has into it because I want your mind to be blown. I want you to feel seen and loved and ravished and degraded or whatever it is you desire (laughs) because you are worthy of your sexual desires being fulfilled. And the fact that you would pay someone for that service is such an honor. Like it's such a beautiful energetic exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now the past, why we're exhausted sometimes after filming. Yes. Oh, it's so <laughs> true. The past three live streams, I also do perform live mm-hmm. and the past three of them, I have cried at the end because it's so moving and meaningful. And my fans care so deeply about me. I care so deeply about them that I just end my live stream crying. And it is like this really sacred ritual moment where they just hold this space and like pour loving words over me because I just spent three hours performing and pouring love over them. And it's just something 
you can't find anywhere you go. And so mm-hmm. I think there's something really beautiful. And I always tell my people who reach out to me wanting to get on OnlyFans or do adult work. I'm like, subscribe to my page to come see one way of it being done. Because I think what I do is so deep and meaningful. And because of the assumptions a lot of people have, like it's shallow, it's dirty, it's weird, it's awkward. And I want to show them the beautiful and deeper side of what it can be like. Mm-hmm. And and also there's definitely audiences that like don't want that kind of, you know, yes. intentional connection. And that's yes. fine because... Yep. There will always be those of us who are dirty and awkward and clumsy and rushed. Yes. And like some people love that shit too, because that's how they're vibing. So <laughs> there's a uh, there's a buyer audience member, fan, client for every provider. And that's mm-hmm. what I love. It's like you being the most authentic s- expression of you, doing what you love will always attract your ideal clientele. Like mm-hmm. be you and know that there's people who will love you for you and the way you do your thing. Mm-hmm. And it is also work because three hours of were you live streaming? Lot. Yeah, I, I live stream. Mm-hmm. Oh Do you want to? So it's on, on OnlyFans. Yeah, it's so much work. Um, yeah, and, and setup. Yeah, yep. Setup, performing, decompressing afterwards. It's it's a job. It's a business. Mm-hmm. Even though it it's easy for it to not look like that. Hmm. Um. I remember uh, one of my Pilates instructor instructors told me uh, that she went to see like a, a touch healer once and that people line mm-hmm. up like for hours just to get a hug from this lady. Mm-hmm. And at the time that sounded insane to me, but now I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Like if that works for you, that absolutely makes sense. That's how you uh, recharge someone else's yeah, energy. I still, I still think about the story you shared on Instagram about this woman who came to see you and she just wanted her hair caressed mm-hmm. and like be held. Mm-hmm. And I, and how like you loved providing that service for her. And my heart was like, oh my gosh, that was such a tender thing Ugh. she wanted and she got it. Ugh. And you loved giving it. Like that's Ugh. what I love. Like these win win scenarios where both parties are getting exactly what they want. It's amazing. Oh, it's so amazing. Can I tell you, if you liked that, uh, and listeners will also enjoy, and maybe she's listening right now, actually. Um, I had a lady come in and uh, she told me she was pregnant and uh, mm-hmm. she was there with her partner and she wanted to get a couple of dances from me. Uh, and I felt honored. I'm like, oh, damn, she's pregnant. So she's holding a lot. So I have to give her my best yeah. energy, you know? Yeah. So I'm like taking extra care to like kneel carefully and, and touch her hair ca- carefully. And like, I'm not going to rub her belly or like grind my pussy on her belly, but I'm going to like caress her lower back. And, you know, mm-hmm. imagine like white light going into her sacrum. Like, this is the shit I do. <laughs> and she t- right. So she told me after, um, I think it was two or I think it was three songs. It was three songs. Uh, and she asked, have you been doing any of the touch healing training, uh, that you were interested in? Cause I, I do have a lady I see as a mentor. She's actually giving me a session today. Mm. Um, and I said, no, but I would love to. And she says, well, I can tell that you, um, you have it in you because I was feeling it mm. like, oh, yes. like just touch is magic, obviously. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I'm so drawn to you. Like I can feel it through the interwebs. You know, I can Mm -hmm. feel it through Instagram and it's what makes you so magnetic to people in person and online. It's part of your magic. You're going to make me blush. Well, you're going to make me blush and maybe you can help me 
I, I know I deserve, I should blush a little more. You <laughs> Let's do some listener questions. And you're going to take the lead on this one for sure. Listener question one. What do you think of the vilification of Christians? Like all Christians are bad type stuff. Gosh, you don't know how badly I want to go there. Like how badly want to go there. Just be like, yes, they're all horrible, bad. Oh my God, why do they still exist? But I can't um, because I know a lot of amazing people who identify as Christian, but just because of obviously my own trauma um, and the own rejection I've experienced over the years as I became more and more me and started doing more and more of this work, um, a lot of the trauma in my life has been the result of people who identify as Christian. And so um, it's very easy for me to go there like, yeah, they're all horrible. But um, thankfully, things are always more great than we want them to be. And I'm always the kind of person who wants to be, I want to be the kind of person who's surprised. I want to be the kind of person who leans in and is curious instead of pull back and withdraw and judge. So especially with people that I've been taught to judge, ignore, marginalize, exclude, avoid, how can I lean in and be surprised? What can I actually learn from them um, instead of making them the villain or whatever, whether we're talking about Christians or we're talking about Muslims or we're talking about immigrants, what can we lean in and learn from them? Junkies, um, um, yeah. single parents. Yes. Um, like a villain, villainizing people just doesn't help anything. And so I think DJs, just kidding. Yes. <laughs> lean in and be curious. Be club DJs are people too. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a great. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you. All right. Mm -hmm. We can move on to listener question two. Do you have any tips for destigmatization of adult work slash sex work in civilian communities? Yes, you should be an adult worker or a sex worker and move to the most conservative county in Southern California uh, and let your neighbors find out what you do. Yeah. <laughs> like, Is that I what happened to you? That happened to me. I moved from the Midwest. I've been wanting to live in California since high school. I finally moved out here in my mid-30s. I'm like, I'm finally moving to the wild, wild liberal West. I am so ecstatic. <laughs> and then I moved to Orange County, unbeknownst to me. I had no idea what Orange County was, but it's the most conservative county in California. And I like got here and there's like Trump signs everywhere. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me like mm. i'm left the crazy midwest for the midwest of california uh, no. yeah. oh and it's like um, that all over the place oh yeah so i grew up in northern san diego county and i have family in orange county and yeah i escaped there to come to portland yes, exactly i know but the weather's not um, so great in portland if you like I california know. weather yeah so yes i love my socal weather mm -hmm. but that's actually been part of it i think once my neighbors learned about what i did it's like oh wait this isn't just like this stereotypical person that straw man that we can like judge and hate it's like this is my neighbor this is my kid's friend's parent like this is someone mm -hmm. we have like barbecues with so i see my neighbors like brains like re-clicking and like mm -hmm. rearranging to understand the enigma of like this amazing mom and this amazing neighbor who also does sex work and i mm -hmm. love that's the kind of cognitive dissonance i want to create in people's lives Mm -hmm. When I bring two things that people in our, our society try so hard to keep apart and I bring them very integrated and whole and you're forced to face it in a really beautiful way. Mm -hmm. um, it is hard, 
Because every time someone asks me for my Instagram handle, when a mom's like, let's be Instagram friends, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, oh honey, you might feel threatened by this. <laughs> this is the this is often the deciding factor of whether or not they will stay my friend or if they will let my kids still have play dates with their kids, which is yep. very sad yep. um, and really hard for me every time. And I always get a little sick to my stomach when I give my Instagram handle because I know you're, you're either going to love me or hate me. There's really no middle ground when you see my Instagram account. Yep. Um, so as hard as it is, sometimes I, I do feel gratitude that I get to be someone who's an adult work who lives in this conservative county and help kind of destigmatize what it means to be an adult worker or a sex worker and to be a mom, to be a single mom, to be queer and be in this industry. Like I want people to do what just in the last question, lean in and be curious. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's definitely uh, something I have read repeatedly in different types of like psychology books or, you know, organizing your work team, like people sometimes need slow exposure to new ideas yes. and they need time to adapt. Yes. Um, so in terms of respectability politics, you know, it is like you are a peer to them in many ways where like yes. you can afford to live in this neighborhood, you yep. blend in at the barbecues, you know, like yeah. you don't have like a shaved head and like a big metal hoop through your nose who's like dressing like a man, which is what I do. People already are like, well, she's got dirt on her. Like I can't blend in (laughs) to these nice barbecues, but you can. So you are the soft, slow exposure to a lot of people. And that's what a lot of people need. Yeah, And that's part of why I came out publicly. Um, I'm just so committed to the world moving forward in the way it should. And so I'm willing to like, put my story out there and put myself out there to take flack if it's going to make it easier for those who are coming up behind me. And so, because I knew enough women who live very like, and this is so personal choice, whatever's right for you is always right for you. There's no one right way to do this, but I would see them like privately, secretly do their adult work and then publicly keep this like suburban wife persona. And they, but they felt conflicted because they were always so terrified of being caught. And I, and I, it's like, I don't want to be that way. Like, I don't want to live in fear. I just want the whole world to know this is me. This is what I do. You can unfriend me, unfollow, block me, whatever you need to do if I'm like not your person. But for everyone else who wants to stick around, welcome to the ride. <laughs> and I want to bring people on this journey of what it looks like in real time for someone like me to do what I do. Mm-hmm. And that is my hope that it will destigmatize and help educate and bring people along because of this ongoing exposure and typically a not super threatening way because it's online. There's pictures of me, there's pictures of my kids. And I talk about all the things in addition to adult work and sex work. Mm -hmm. So let's pivot. Speaking of a wild ride, uh, listener question three, this person said, former pastor's former wife here, what was your sex life like in the ministry? Nicole, ours was bad. Oh, mama. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny when you're in something and it's all you know, and Ah. I tend to be a very positive person, you'll, you can spin anything to me as good. Like, well, this is, I used to rave about my sex life. I was with my ex-husband for 12 years. He never gave me a single orgasm our Mm -hmm. entire time together. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, but I was convinced we had a good sex life because that's what a good wife does. She always speaks positively about her husband. She always uplifts the man. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the cost of what? Swallowing my truth, being absolutely miserable in bed. I felt sexually starved. Mm -hmm. Um, And and obviously I'm a very sexual person. 
um, and to not be pleasured and to not have more than three minutes spent on me. It was by the time I left, it was like, I was ravenous. I just wanted to be desired and I want to have time spent on me and I want someone to learn my body. Mm -hmm. So I just was given my first orgasm a year and a half ago. (laughs) And like, I can get myself off fine, but no one's been able to give me one until a year and a half ago. Someone took their time to learn my body and I bawled, bawled. And I kept saying the words that kept coming out of my mouth were, oh my God, I'm not broken. Oh my God, I'm not broken. broken." Because I thought I was broken because no one, not even someone who's with me for 12 years got me off. Mm-hmm. And it was such a healing moment where now I demand orgasms. You will learn my body or you will not enter my home or enter my space. Um, and as part of it was because of my sex life during my marriage and during the t- when I was religious, I refused to settle for crumbs when I deserve the whole damn buffet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's definitely, I just, I mean, hell yeah. I'm so glad that this is where you're at. And again, what a journey. Um. It, it can be so challenging. I think this is me from the outside looking in based on the couples I talk to and, and, and things I hear. It's so tough, I think, when there's no instruction or motivation for people to learn each other's bodies because they mm-hmm. think that having the sex and completing the sex is the goal. Mm-hmm. So they, just, they don't play, you know, just right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one silver lining to being sexually starved is like, Every time I have sex now, it's like a feast. It's a marathon. I'm like, I'm going to milk every ounce of pleasure out of our time together. Get ready for a ride. Like, yeah, it's, it's a whole show now. And I love it. Like, I'm such a lover. And yeah. I, I'm so physical and set, like sexually connected to someone. I don't want it to end. Um, and to finally be in a space where I'm able to find people where that can be my experience. It's been so mind-blowing, healing, amazing. And I wish it for everyone who wants it. Absolutely. So last listener question, what are your thoughts on purity culture? What messaging comes to mind with the words purity culture? Any practices you really hate? Like, oh my gosh, I used to be the poster child for purity culture. Like, mm-hmm. I like cringe thinking about it. Like, I signed the purity pledge card in high school. My parents bought me a purity ring. I was gonna ask if you um, had a ring. Yeah. Oh God, so bad. When I had sex, I felt like the worst sinner in the world every time because I've obviously super sexual and I would try so hard to not have sex, but I would always end up in sex, and I would just like would just degrade myself and like hate myself for like being such a failure so much so that I became celibate for six years in my twenties, trying so hard to wait for marriage. Oh my God. Um, I was willing to starve myself. I was so committed to purity culture. It like makes me so nauseous now. Cause I like, once I got divorced, I had a slut phase and it was the most healing, <laughs> liberating, beautiful thing. I'm like, everyone should be a slut. Like this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that, that culture I was raised in where your purity was your father's was God's was your husband's and not for you or anything else. And it just enrages me as like a very raging feminist now. Um, But anything that tries to tell a young person or, and especially women or queer folks that you are inherently dirty. um, You need to save it for such and such this context, this person, this anything. It's just, it's just a form of control and no one has any right to your body, your expression, your connection, your sexuality. That is all yours. Um, And 
And that's what I want people to know is like, it is your right, your body, your say, your decision. No one else except for the person you're engaging with gets to have a say in that. But I was so programmed in purity culture that I didn't learn what consent was until five years into my marriage. Really? I like I've I'm still blown away by that because all my kids know they're six, nine, and eleven. They are very educated on consent because once I learned what it was and I was so horrified, I learned that I, I could have said no. I never said no to my husband because I was taught I couldn't say no. Oh gosh. Um, even if I was angry or exhausted or whatever, what about I never said period? no. Yes. And sick. feeling yep, sick. And that's nasty. how I conceived one of my kids because I thought I wasn't allowed to say no and I was so angry because I didn't oh, want to do it. Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. So now all my kids know about it. So that's one thing I've taken from purity cultures. Like my babies will know consent and they have full right over their bodies and they decide what works for them and not someone else outside of them. Oh, I love that. So we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and uh, go over an article that uh, discusses how abstinence pledges did impact teens and the adults they grew into. Uh, yeah. So everyone go look up NicoleMitchell.com. Find me. I'm LStanger.com, by the way. Uh, you can see old articles I've written, events, uh, links to find my porn, and of course, bonus content and affiliates. So many things. So yeah, Nicole, let's go get some water and say 10 or 11 Hail Marys or whatever. And we're not Catholics. I don't even know. <laughs> I couldn't, if my life depended on it, I couldn't say one. So <laughs> I'm right there with you. We're screwed. <laughs> yeah, we're screwed. Uh, screwed in a good way though. Uh, yes, the best way. Hey Elle, where did you train to be a sex educator? I went to instituteforsexuality.com. If you do not need to be ASECT certified, you can take their shorter program. It's new. It's called Sweet Sexual Wellness Education and Enlightenment Training. It's about half the price of their regular program and you can do it at your own pace because it's all on demand. You can take it online. You can take one learning path at a time to make it more manageable financially. Go to instituteforsexuality.com and click on On Demand Programs. You can check out their other classes too. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. We have a website, theytalksex.com. You can also find affiliates and other episodes there. Uh, You might be listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, but feel free to share the episodes any way you can. We are also on Instagram. Sometimes I post memes on Instagram at They Talk Sex podcast. I am talking with Nicole Mitchell. Nicole is on NicoleMitchell.com and she very lovingly makes custom uh, materials for you. So reach out to her. You're on OnlyFans. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you can find her on Instagram at Mitchell Nicole. So we were just talking about purity culture. Uh, we didn't mention the purity balls that have sprung up in the late 2000s. Did you see anything about those? No, tell me. So purity balls, it was blast into the media. I didn't know these existed. Uh, One photojournalist did a series on these. He traveled around and he took photos of the, the 
staged photos that the daughters and the dads were doing like their portraiture. So mm-hmm. it was them like the dads are all wearing suits. The daughters are wearing white dresses. There's like an American flag in the background. They're like embracing in some awkward paternalistic way. Mm-hmm. And so this was in 2015. It came out and I'm so blanking on the photographer, the photojournalist name, unfortunately. But if you Google purity balls, you can find it. Um, and so it's really, it's to the same as the rings and the pledges. It's just these like celebrations of the daughter's sacred virginity, which she is entrusting, you know, to maintain for her father's respect. And then, uh, you know, when she gets married, that like goes to her husband, I guess. Oh my God. I'm like looking at it right now. I Googled it. I'm like you horrified. It. Yeah. Horrified. And like, Tell me that. I mean, that looks like it looks like a child marriage photo. It does. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> so uncomfortable. Um, and again, like not all evangelicals are down with this. Right. By, you know, but the fact that some people are shows that, again, it's like a spectrum of beliefs and probably a spectrum of harm. So I'm looking at a New York Times article from April 6th of 2021 by Clyde Haberman. The article is called How an Abstinence Pledge in the 90s Shamed a Generation of Evangelicals. The Christian, quote, purity movement promoted a strict view of abstinence before marriage, but two decades later, some followers are grappling with unforeseen aftershocks. Mm-hmm. And so one person says... Uh, People like Linda K. Klein, who embraced the movement in her teens, but left it in disenchantment at 21, two decades ago. She said she described the trauma and shame she felt this way. Quote, I would find myself in tears and in a ball in the corner of the bed, crying, my eczema coming out, which it does when I'm stressed, and scratching myself till I bled because I was having a deep shame reaction. Mm. We went to war with ourselves, our own bodies, and our own sexual natures. And then there's some history of programs like True Love Waits, a Southern Baptist convention yep. in, out of 1993. Right. So there's just some history uh, to this. And, uh, you know, seeing this article again, it kind of bolstered. It reminded me why you and me were doing this episode. Like, mm-hmm. I don't struggle with this, but so many of my clients do. Religious shame. Yeah. Totally. Like I, you know, after I got divorced and, you know, me and my ex were um, super not compatible sexually. Like, and I remember thinking, I will never partner with someone that I don't have sex with sex with first to see if we are compatible. That is a basic requirement. (laughs) And yet that is like the most scandalous and radical thing I could do because of my upbringing. Because I did, I did do the true love weights movement, right? That's where the pledge in the ring came from. And so for me to demand that sex is a prerequisite to a relationship, I need to know if we are sexually compatible before I invest time and energy with this person um, to now that's such a basic concept. But when I was first coming into that just a couple years ago, I was like, oh my God, this is so scandalous. I'm such a heretic because of the deep programming I was raised with. So yeah, I get that where there's this residue from purity culture where you're doing something that's basic and normal and healthy, but there's still some part of you that thinks you're bad or doing something wrong or you're you're going to pay for it in some way. That's kind of my, my trigger wound is at some point I will be punished for this. 
in some way or another, because that is the theology I was raised with. When you sin, punishment happens. Um, Whether it's from God or your parents, somehow you'll be punished. And so I have to continually heal this part of me, this little child of me that's so afraid Nicole is going to be punished because she's sexual, because sex was (sighs) such a taboo thing growing up. So next time there's an earthquake, just remember that's your fault. Yes, I started it. COVID probably because of me. Sorry, guys. Like, is this all <laughs> because I'm sexual? <laughs> so just a reminder, everyone, that bad things happen to good people. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so just the next time, if anything bad happens to you, just remember it, it happens to everyone. Um, yeah. Right. Totally. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... Another article I found, uh, this is with a different lens. The title, uh, this was on refinery29.com, published March 4th of 2022 by Jacqueline Delgadillo. Uh, My culture taught me sex is for putas. Here's how I'm unlearning shame. Puta means whore. Mm. Um, She starts out by saying, if she's slept with more than one man, she's a puta. My tia Mm. told my mom during her visit to her home in Riverside, California, which is right next to Orange County. Uh, She says, I was 22 years old and I felt heat rising to my face. I prayed no one could read the guilt in my sweat. According to my aunt's definition, I was a puta and her daughter was one too. I was ashamed. So uh, yeah, she says in traditional Latinx culture, sex is reserved for cis straight men and women after they've wed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so yeah, these ideas are very, very vast. Uh, So again, this article, my culture taught me sex is for putas. Here's how I'm unlearning shame definitely worth a read Uh, wide reaching impacts Mm -hmm. like yeah cultural i thank you for bringing that article because it's not just like it makes me think of like i'm half korean and i lived in korea for five years in my 20s and they saw me when i was single i was just like slightly sexy like this is like i'm very modest i work at a christian high school in korea so like Mm. nothing actually sexy but what i thought was maybe a little cute um, so I was like cute and then I got married and I still dress the same. I'm the same person. And one of my, you know, what we call a Korean auntie came up to me at the school and she goes, no, 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 no. You stop wearing that because you're married now. Ah! Right. And it's like, now you mute your sexuality. You mute a part of yourself. And I thought, dang, like now am I not only just getting from the Christian side, I'm getting from like my cultural side. Like there's just so much pressure for a woman to hide and mute and repress her own sexuality, which is like one of our greatest sources of power, pleasure, profit, peace. Like, mm-hmm. so I feel that pressure from different angles. Um, and it's really hard. It's why I have so much respect for women in the sex industry, because I know for a lot of them, they have done a lot of inner emotional healing work to get to that point of freedom when there's been, they've been raised with so much shame and baggage around it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So I wanted to read a couple more um, r- listener responses. And then I wanted to ask you a couple more things before we go. So good. The question earlier was, what is your relationship to religion and sexuality? Mm-hmm. Someone says, I was a Christian. Now I'm just internally spiritual and I'm hypersexual, but I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone says, there is no relationship between the two. I am pretty religious and I am pretty sexual and they don't really interact. I am Hindu. Mm. Interesting. I don't know anything Mm -hmm. about that. Someone says, religion made me scared of sexuality. I did not have sex until I was 25 because I was terrified of women. Oh, yeah. Someone says, 
religious trauma created some very strong kinks as an adult. <laughs> yep. And this is how some of us heal. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this one's interesting. Someone says, I'm the son of a preacher and a sex educator. Both of them are repressed as fuck in their own ways, but mm-hmm. uh, I was just given condoms. Wow. Sex, like sex negative sex educators are really interesting because I think they think they're helping by being like, okay, so like, for example, the CDC.gov is like, don't have sex. And if you do wear a condom and also don't have, you know, like anal sex or something that could be high risk, don't do it. Mm. Um, which isn't realistic for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I forget yeah. where I was going with that. <laughs> like negative sex educators. Right. Exactly. Thank you. So the ones that are like, this is how you reduce STIs. And if you get one, like this is what could happen. Like that's, that's a very, um, when you're only looking for problems, I think that's, that's, uh, not going to be entirely helpful for a lot of people. Yeah. It's not a way to live life. Yeah. It's so it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's the half empty and under equipped version. It's like not the whole conversation that sh- should be happening. Mm-hmm. So I want to yeah. ask you before we go, uh, something I always ask my guests, what are some resources that have been helpful for your learning? I know you said I've, I've been helpful. I know there's mm-hmm. probably others. Yeah. Um, you guys have missed between during the ads breaks. I've just been raving to Elle about how much <laughs> Elle's work has impacted me. And I was like, I'm going to say it on the podcast. Like everyone just needs to know. But um, I, that's the beauty of the internet and social media is we can find mentors all over the world um, in whatever niche we're looking for. And we're not relegated to just stuff in person. And Elle's been that person for me, right? Elle lives um, in a different state than me, but I've been following um, mm-hmm. Elle for a year and a half. And I eat up everything she writes and just the education and the activism. And my favorite is like when she gives personal stories from how she parents and how she co-parents because it informs me as a parent and as a co-parent. And um, the Jesus memes, like all of it, it's so multifaceted. And I think that's what's so important is I look for people who live whole lives, right? They're a sex worker and they're an educator. They're a parent and they're a friend. They're all these things that I'm very passionate about that we get to be all parts of ourselves. And Elle's work has been um, so helpful in my journey to finding healing, articulating um, my desires, being coming more educated and inclusive in my work. And so for anyone, like when you're looking for resources, I think the internet and Instagram specifically is such a great place. And even if you have just one person, whether it's L or it's me, you know, we typically follow other people who are, do similar work. And so it becomes this rabbit trail of more and more resources and leaders and mentors that mm-hmm. can help you in your deprogramming and relearning of what it means to be a whole, sexual, happy, healthy being. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for singing my praises. And gosh darn, you're right. The internet can do good things. I think a big part of it is you and I have similar beliefs where we feel positively and we like our sexuality and Mm -hmm. we want to, you know, we're helpers. We want to help. We want to facilitate. And, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're a natural leader and I feel like... I get some shit done sometimes. So I think we just uh, recognized each other and we see value in each other's work. So thank you for being here. Last thing I want to ask you. Oh yeah. Do you have any sex tips for our audience? Oh my gosh. Like where to begin? Like there's so (laughs) many, but you know, what's so funny when I, when I first saw that question, I was reminded of, 
um, a few years ago when I first down, started down this path of like, what does Nicole want? What lights Nicole up? And it was the first time I was really asking basically, what's Nicole's pleasure? Because I was so busy, I grew a light, grew up a, as a life of denial. I deny, deny my own pleasure for the sake of others. I deny myself, my wants, my needs, my desires for others. So when I was coming back to myself, that was one of my first questions. And you know what the first thing was? And it wasn't even something sexual. I love lattes. And I wouldn't even let myself buy a latte because that money could be spent on someone else or for something else. I would deny myself a simple pleasure of a latte because I thought maybe I was being wasteful and maybe mm-hmm. I, I'd not worthy of simple pleasure. And so one of my first acts of like reclamation was like, Nicole, damn it, you are worthy of a $3.50 latte from your local corner store. Like, go get it, honey. And it was one of the first times I can remember where I felt giddy and happy because I did something for me that felt good to me. Hmm. And that's ultimately what I want people want for people in their sex life is like, what do you like? What do you enjoy? What makes you giddy? What makes you excited? Especially as women were taught that the pleasure is all for the man, all for the other person. And so for us to get clear on what it is that we want, and then to have it as like a demand, like now an orgasm is a demand. You are not allowed to have sex with me and not give me an orgasm. Like fuck off if that's you. So like I have a standard now, but it first started with me asking what lights me up? what gives me pleasure and being brave enough to say that to someone else. I was terrified when I first started on this journey after getting divorced, asking someone I'm having sex with, like, um, do you mind trying to like give me an orgasm? I was so scared, Mm -hmm. but because I was willing to start scared and start being honest and raw, I'm now able to be a lot more confident in in articulating what I want, whether it's something sexual or not. And Mm -hmm. that is powerful. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm. I said to someone recently, I said, wouldn't you be so irritated if after a couple of minutes I came and then we were just done? Because that's the reality for a lot of people and I don't want it to be mine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I used to say that to my ex-husband. I was like, can you imagine going 10 years and I never gave you an orgasm and you never had one during sex. Oh my God. And he'd be like, yeah, that'd be rough. Thank you. And, that's and then it would stop. It would, nothing would happen. And I'm like, no, the whole point is for yeah. you to feel yeah. how I feel. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. It's incredibly common. And there's so much shame around that. I never told any of my girlfriends. I was so embarrassed because I thought I was broken. Not that something was broken in our relationship. And so mm. it was is compounded by silence and isolation. And so that's another reason why I'm so open about who I am and what I do, because if it gives you permission to speak up and find help, find support, find that you're not alone and get you to freedom and happiness and wholeness sooner, then I will have fulfilled a very real purpose mm. of my life here on earth. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being on the spirituality and sexuality episode. This was amazing. Thank you. Wonderful. Happy Easter Sunday, 2022. Um, If there's another major natural disaster anywhere near to you and I, then it's our fault. Yes, we now know. (laughs) Started here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Okay, everyone, look her up on NicoleMitchell.com. She's on OnlyFans. She's on Instagram at MitchellNicole. You can find my uh, bonus materials that are PG-13 
to somewhat R-rated. I show my bush. Remember I said, I wish I could show my bush on Instagram. I have a patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. I have journals and pics and things I can't post on social media there. And of course, find me on Twitter at L Stanger. Thank you for listening to They Talk Sex podcast. And Nicole, I will see you on the internet. Yes, see you there. Mm-hmm. Lots of us know to grab a towel when we're on our period for period sex, but what if you could just get the layer? Try getthelayer.com because it's not just a sex blanket. It's great for not ruining sheets, bedding, furniture, whether you're on your period, whether you're a squirter, whether you're just trying to be polite. It's black. It's discreet. You can get 10% off when you getthelayer.com and use the code L-E-L-L-E all caps, my name. Try it out. Let me know how you like it. It is my travel companion. Getthelayer.com.